The Courage to Lead, episode 141. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. Um, I'm having a great week and I'm excited and honored to introduce you to my guest today. Please welcome Lisa Luckett. Lisa Luckett is a social visionary, an activist for kindness, and an advocate of gaining wisdom by experiencing life head on. Her mantra, choose courage, is the foundation of her social vision, reminding us that we are strong, resilient, and have a choice in how we live our lives. As a 9-11 widow, single mother of three young adults, and breast cancer survivor. Lisa knows the value of life struggles and sees the gift or silver lining in every situation. Lisa believes that life is happening for us, not to us, shifting to see that life's lessons and grace lie within the struggle. An expert in emotional preparedness, Lisa Luckett is a voice of reason in the chaos. She's an award-winning author, inspirational speaker, life coach, and the founder and CEO of Cosmina, Enlightened Living, a brand of kindness and social vision for the 21st century. Uh, Lisa's memoir, The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love, was released in 2018. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Coach Harlan. It is a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure to have you on. I've, I've been looking forward to this uh, for so long. I The 9-11 widow is, I mean, that's the thing I think we were introduced by um, who was it? Chris, Frank, Frank Agan, Frank Agan, who introduced us. And when he first told me the, the story is like, I must talk to this lady. And we've had several conversations and I love every one of them and we laugh and we have a great time and stuff. So I think this is going to be another, another good conversation. I want to get into talking about, um, everything that led up to where you are, uh, the book, the keynotes uh, speaking that you do and stuff and the coaching you do. I want to talk about all of that stuff. But before we get started, I have 10 questions that I love to ask every one of my guests. Uh, listeners know these are the questions from the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where host James Lipton asks these questions of his uh, guests from Hollywood TV, film, and stage. I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So Lisa, if you're ready, question number one, what is your favorite word? Well, can, can I just uh, just back up for a second and say, I am so excited about Inside the Actor's Studio. This whole prompt is fantastic. Uh, my favorite word, I first thing that came to mind was awesome. Okay. I sound a little cheerleader-ish, but that is probably sums it up best. That's great. I use the word all the time. Absolutely. Um, number two, what is your least favorite word? I can't. Absolutely. Yep. What turns you on? Intelligence. What turns you off? With all due respect to the world at large, ignorance. Yes. What sound or noise do you love? I would have to say sounds of nature. Okay. Birds and wind, rain, water. Very cool. What sound or noise do you hate? Anything. Oh, leaf blowers. <laughs> <laughs> Very specifically. <laughs> uh, 
Absolutely. All right. Uh, question number seven. What is your favorite curse word? Gotta give it the F-bomb. Okay. To. That is the most popular by yes. far. Yeah. Yes, yes. So versatile. Um, question eight. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, probably astronaut. Nice. Really specifically the Star Trek, the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> James T. Kirk. There you go. Um, question nine. What profession would you not like to do? What profession would I not like to do? Gosh, you know, I find them all pretty fascinating. Um, I think there's really difficult professions that are un, very underrated and under under celebrated. The the daily the daily professions, the bus drivers, the truck drivers, the train and subway, you know, mm -hmm. people that are on that for 30, 40 years doing the same thing. That just so it's not that I wouldn't like it. I just think they're extraordinarily unappreciated and difficult. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Final question. 10. If heaven exists. What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, you, you got it. You figured it out. Good job. Yeah. You got it. it out. And I think you have figured it out. And, and we want to talk about how you figured it out. There's some definite lessons here for everybody. So uh, yeah, we're going to come back, talk about how you got your start, how all this led to where you are now and uh, how you're helping people through some of the chaos, all right? I'd love so to, we'll thank you. Talk about that and more right after this. So listeners, stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Lisa Luckett. Lisa, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. I've been looking forward to the, the conversation for quite quite some time. Whereabouts are you now? Are you, you're up Northeast, aren't you? Yes, I'm on the Northeast coast. I'm on the top of the beaches in New Jersey. Nice. So everybody makes fun of the Jersey shore, but it's actually a beautiful place to live. <laughs> it is a beautiful place up there. Very cool. So uh, like I said, uh, during the intro, when I first, uh, Frank introduced us, um, he talked about you were a, uh, widow 9-11, but the lesson or the, the, what I got from it is that you would almost come to your own peace in that by the time that 9-11 happened and you turned your focus in to help other people to get through that process. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, so that's, that's close except for about four years. It took me about four years after 9-11 to really understand what my mission was. But the first 40 years of my life prepared me for the lessons that I would learn in those four years. And that came from taking my chaotic 
crazy dysfunctional, what looked like normal on the outside, but was not, it was very uncomfortable on the inside life to the analyst's couch hmm. to figure out the why of everything. Because what 9-11 did for me was it became a catalyst of learning and an opportunity to change the trajectory of my young family away from generational trauma, away from generational dysfunction. Hmm. And there's a whole, that's the whole backstory. That's why there's a book, because it's such a long story. Wow. Um, because of 9-11, the moments, the minutes that followed the, the attacks, I became, began to receive this unbelievable energy of love, unconditional love and kindness that literally was pouring to me from everywhere. And it never stopped. It went on for years. I mean, I still get it. Um, gratefully, you know, at 20 years, I, I hope people have, you know, now learned that they're, they're giving it to others. But what that unconditional love experience was for me from strangers was the first time I was actually ever truly loved unconditionally, not from my family, not from the community, not the world I had been living in. So that was the juxtaposition. And when I understood, you know, studied and began to understand what the differences were, all I wanted to do was give it back to others because it was just so remarkably healing and beautiful and very clearly the reason why we're here. Wow. And I, you know, 9-11 was so traumatic. And I, I mean, I didn't know anybody in the Twin Towers. I was working in Connecticut at the time and in a cubicle and the guy in the cubicle behind me kind of wheeled his chair back and said, hey, did you hear about a little plane crash up in New York? And it's like, no. He went back to work. A couple minutes later, he came back over just frantic. He goes, it happened a second time. So we found a TV and we were there just watching all this transpire on TV. And my wife and I have had conversations since then that if we're ever on a plane and something were to happen, we would know that we would do whatever we could to, to help, you know, that if something were to happen, don't, don't worry about me. Don't fret about me. Know that I'm trying to do something to help. Um, your husband worked in the towers and he was there when the bombings, what was it back in 80? In 93. 93. In February of 93. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that is in itself kind of an interesting thing is that in, and this is where, when you talked about earlier about Cosmina and light and living and, and where I see my myself is that there's a great vision we can have for the 21st century. And, and are we really seeing it? And part of that is kind of understanding where we are as a culture, where we are and how we got here and where we are in our evolution and our growth as a country. Um, that being said, in 1993, they swept those attacks under the rug. Yeah. You know, it was like, whatever, you know, okay, <clears throat> nothing happened. But Teddy was inside along with, you know, 50,000 other people that were walking out one step at a time every 30 seconds in mm -hmm. pitch black because the lights went out at the 80th floor. And it took them four and a half hours to walk down from the 105th. Wow. Which is where his offices were. So he was on the 105th, so two, two floors from the top of the North Tower, which is the one with the antenna on it. And that's where he was on 9-11. Wow. And so at the time, the president at the time called the owner of the company at the time who had the top floors and said, please don't vacate. I'll give you a great deal. And so they went back in. And, um, you know, because you know what, New York and Wall Street, mm -hmm. it's about money. 
And if anybody thinks it's about anything else, they're, they're kidding themselves. Delusional. And now, and now we know wall street is a shadow of its former self 20 years later. You know, it was, it was always kind of the metaphor of walk to go to wall street and you'll literally be hit in the head with money. I mean, it's just, that's what it is. So, you know, the, the idea that we were that arrogant to think that it wasn't going to happen again, that think that we didn't have people that hated us to that level. Sure. And, you know, now 21 years later, 20 plus years later, um, I've done a lot of processing around this, Harlan. So, you know, I find that when I talk about, when we talk about 9-11, it's, it's pretty much a showstopper. People are still really processing it because we really haven't properly processed it. No. Not that I have the answer, except the only answer I have is that we all need to be heard. Everyone needs to tell their individual story of where they were, what they were wearing, who they were with, what happened, who they knew, yeah. and be validated in their pain. Because mm-hmm. it happened simultaneously so all to 50 million people, yeah. right? Yeah. Between Boston and Washington. But you know? 93, it's like we had this alarm go off and we hit the snooze button. Yes. And Right. Well, it's, it's an arrogance, I think. Yeah. It's more of a, an adolescence. Let's, mm-hmm. be not, let's say it's not as, as it, let's be more innocent about it. It's an adolescence. We're teenagers as a country in our, in our evolvement, right? right? In our evolution, where we think at 400 years old, we have the, we have the answers about cultures that are 10,000 years old, that right. have been doing this far longer than we have, that have experienced wars and terror and up and downs that we haven't even scratched. And we thought we were invincible between two oceans and two benign neighbors that we couldn't be touched. So we got smacked and we got smacked really hard, mm-hmm. but that was our, it's because it was the first time. What if we were to look at it differently? And I believe we're not going to heal out of what has become. And, and again, this is not criticism, it's observation, but we can't heal until we stand back and we see ourselves from a different perspective and we reframe a situation and that's coaching, right? You and I are both yeah. coaches and it's all about perspective. So to shift perspective is where I would love for all of us to begin to go so that we can move through where we are. Because quite frankly, I I feel like we're still pretty stuck. How do you, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I I think a lot of it, and you, for the first few days after 9-11, you see everybody flying the American flag. We were, we were a community again. And that kind of went back away. And now we're back to mine and yours, you know, and, and fighting amongst ourselves and, and pointing fingers and everything like that. And I don't, I don't think we learned the lessons that we could have learned. Well, and we have to remember the level of trauma because you'll never, and I'm going to say never, never say never, but I'm going to say never that the level of trauma that we, everyone experienced simultaneously because the first plane hit and 15 minutes, 10 minutes later, the second plane hit. And then everybody had an hour and a half to turn their TVs on mm-hmm. around the world so that we could all watch it in spectacular technicolor as those buildings fell down in front of us. Yeah. Like that is a home run on the part of the terrorists. Sure. You cannot create an event like that. We will never be that naive again. Right. Well, so I, ho- I hope not. Yeah. I hope. Well, I, I think, I think we're learning. I do think we've learned at least that far. And, you know, so, so that being said, we have to remember that it was such a showstopper. It was just such a a flattening of everything. And, um, and there were 80 countries involved, Mm -hmm. you know, people, 80, 80 countries lost someone in in the attacks. It's almost half the globe. And, you know, so, 
it, its magnitude is unparalleled in that way. Yeah. But the, the, now as the dust has settled, the question is, can we see this in a different way? And, you know, my, my plan, my experience was only light. All I saw was this beautiful goodness. All I saw was the goodness of everyone, which I ultimately handled the godness of 9-11, the goodness with one less O. And it's because I got the best of everyone. And as you're saying, about two years later, it sealed back over and we kind of went back to normal right. or what was a new normal. But quite frankly, on the spectrum of damage, trauma, fear, far much, much further down to the negative. And that's where we sealed over with no emotional training, with no leadership. My first two questions when I wrote the book were, yeah, were um, why were we so unprepared to handle 9-11 as a culture? And where was all the wise counsel to get us through it? Yeah. The answer is there isn't any, because we have no experience. Ex no. Wisdom comes from experience. You know, and until we decide to learn from this situation and get experience from the situation and become wiser because we've taken some responsibility for our part in the situation, innocent or otherwise, you know, naivete can be can be very dangerous. Yeah. Yes. Very much. So, you know, we have to see that were we really that innocent in walking into these countries and what we thought were bringing democracy and good things, but were we really there for oil and that and power and money? Probably both. Probably both. But the world in 2000 was very different than the world in 1960 in the JFK world of democracy everywhere, mm -hmm. because that was a very heady, young, I've got this fantastic idea. I want to share it with everyone because everyone deserves to be this happy. And I believe that is our foundation. Yeah. The question is in 2000, in 2000, was the motivation the same? Hmm. And I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just saying we need to talk about something. Sure. Talk about other than point the finger at those bad guys right. that look different than us. Right. But one of the cool parts about 9-11, cool, if you will, but maybe not great choice of words, interesting parts of 9-11 is that it actually opened the world mm -hmm. because it was the advent of and the onset of 24-hour news from the Gulf War in 91. Sure. And it was the onset of the internet, which signed on in 93. And then you have this spectacular event that feeds everything for years and connects us and creates a globalness that yeah. didn't exist before. It would have anyway, but my guess is this gave it a really fast, like fast yeah. forward. A little shot in the arm. But uh, are we talking about it enough? Are we talking about it on the right levels? Because I know there are some people who still can't watch any TV program or news program that features any images from 9-11 because it's still that traumatic. It's, you know, I don't, I don't want to touch this anymore. Right. Are we talking about it enough? Well, I believe that that's a, that's kind of a, the beginning of a gigantic conversation, which is how are we dealing with our pain and how are we dealing with our fear and where is our fear really founded? And isn't fear a conjured, misconception mm. right fear is not being you're not afraid right now we're sitting in the moment we're fine right fear comes from looking out which brings anxiety with the future or the past which brings regret so fear is fear is just is a, an imaginary condition mm. that is now so wired in the hard drive especially through now through covid right. but was was being built up until all of that. You know, we, if we, there's no surprise 2008 happened and the financial industry collapsed, right? The mm -hmm. housing market collapsed because everybody had to feel good in a house. Yeah. Even if 
you couldn't afford it and everybody was guilty. The right. waitress with, you know, a part-time job could not afford five mortgages at $800,000 that they were getting them. Yeah. You know, so there's responsibility that needs to be taken, not only from leadership, but from the individual. Yeah. You know, and, and then the divisiveness that we found in our country, it's no surprise. People are in pain. Right. And they're not being taught to think. They're not, we're not thinking. We're being taught a STEM program. We're being taught academics that just don't serve anymore. We need conflict resolution. We yeah. need to understand difference, you know, and, yeah. and it's not a political agenda. It's just like, how do we find our own satisfaction and happiness and, and walk out of this darkness? Yeah. So uh, from 9-11, you said it took you a few years, therapy and everything like that, to kind of come out the other side. And now you're putting this to use. Tell us about some of the stuff you've done. Your, your mantra, choose courage. Tell yes. me about some of the stuff you're doing. Yes. Well, choose courage is, is a mantra. The heart, it's the heart that makes it great from a league of their own with, with Tom Hanks. You know, I guess I come from a place which I didn't even really realize, but I can see now that, that I have a warrior, a warrior ask, you know, instinct. Um, you know, I, I couldn't let Teddy and all the others die in vain in the first couple of weeks, it, this, this literally this driving need start started building in me to make something good come from this situation or the terrorists were going to win. So it was kind of this backwards challenge, right? That said, I know it's going to take a long time. I don't even know what that means, but the only way I can make something good come from it is go to the analyst's couch and figure out the why of everything. I need to look at this. And I happen to have a mind that can do that. I have a micro view, which is my own, my own personal experience Mm -hmm. and the macro view, the visionary experience. And they are always aligned. What I'm going through is in person, we're going through culturally, you know, so it's, it's a very, but it's a way to pull back and detach. And so doing emotional work, doing psychotherapy, doing analysis gives you a chance to understand your psychology. I joke that it's not that I'm not crazy. I just know how I'm crazy, (laughs) right? You know, I know how I'm triggered. And so it's not that anybody's judging or pointing a finger. It's just understanding who we are. So it's really coming down to self-awareness. So you ask where I'm going with this. My platform, my speaking platform is about shifting perspective away from you to the person across from you. How is what you're saying landing on that person? Tonality, choice of words, inflection. Sure. No, you can say, I love you. Or you can say, I love you. You know, it has two very different. (laughs) My wife always says communication is an away game. It's not what you That's say, perfect. it's what they hear, right? Yes. It's, it's how is, like you said, how is this landing? When you say something to somebody, if they misunderstand you, it's not their problem. Right. It's, it's your problem, right? Yes. So that would be my mission now for the next 20 years is really about how can I help? And so that's where coaching comes in and the speaking engagements I was doing until uh, COVID and stuff, obviously. But, you know, right now there's so much noise in the world. One of the things I find frustrating is how are the messages able to be heard? And, and we've loved, we've gone from the stadium of thousands, ten thousands of people and one speaker to more grassroots, you know, town hall size meetings. So it is taking millions of voices to speak to millions of people. And I'm just trusting that that goodness, that, that, motivation that is inherently good, the magnanimous aspect of the human spirit. When something bad happens, we show up for each other. 
which through COVID was shown with all the rescue and recovery of the, the healthcare workers, right. as it was with the rescue and recovery workers in 9-11. And then everyone in the world being personally connected to 9-11, because at some point you saw those buildings on the horizon in a picture, you touched them when you went by them in New York and saw their majesty. There was a personal a connection, which is why 9-11 is different from other news stories where we don't relate. They're terrible stories. Oklahoma City, Columbine, the shootings in Las Vegas, you know, any shootings or hurricanes or tornadoes. I mean, there has been so much in the last 20 years. If you look at, which really is kind of an interesting thing, 9-11 and COVID are exactly a 20-year bookend of massive collective traumas that bookend unbelievable numbers of nature-made and man-made trauma. But internal trauma. Internal to the U.S., yes. 9-11 and COVID, 9-11 definitely, but COVID, everybody thinks, okay, that was something imposed on us by a foreign country. And I think that's the difference. The rest of the stuff is like, oh, crazy people will shoot. Oh, you know, tornadoes, hurricanes. Those are things that it's like, okay, it happened. What's on the next channel, right? Right. But those two, like you said, those bookends, they stand out to us. Well, they send out, and, and the, if nothing else has been shown, here's the thing. It's going to happen to all of us eventually. Yeah. It's just, what is it? Is it a yeah. storm? Is it a flood? Is it, a, you know, is it losing, you know, whatever it is, hopefully not as bad as, as death, but clearly we're being shown a wake-up call all the time on lots of things. And, and you know, we'll just have to wait and see what the alignment is yeah. because we're on a precipice. We're at, we're at an absolute pivotal point. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about Cosmina. So Cosmina I, is, is a, <laughs> Cosmina is a made up word, meaning where coziness meets glamour. So okay. your, your listeners are going to say like, what are you talking about? Okay. Well, it, that's why there's a book I will say, because it is such a long story to try to explain. But when I, after about four years uh, on the analyst's couch, I did what I would say would call, I broke through the ceiling to mental health. And what I mean by that is my, she said something or I said something and it's, it all clicked and fell into place. Hmm. And I remember seeing a visual of puzzle pieces, wrapping the globe, all okay. the pieces fitting together, wrapping around. And I sat bolt upright on my, on my couch at the couch at the yeah. time. And I said, um, Oh my God, I have it. I've got the answer. I can solve all the problems of the world right here, right now. Nice. You ready? Drum yeah. roll. Drum roll. It's going to be pretty anticlimactic, but it's the truth. You ready? We just have to be nice because I can tell you now, even years after processing it with the book, up until 9-11, those first 40 years of my life, no one had ever been nice to me. Not my family, not my community, not people in school. I was badly bullied on all levels. So my experience was very, very, very painful. 9-11 showed me kindness for the first time ever. Only it wasn't kindness from the people that you think should give you kindness. It was kindness yeah. from strangers. Mm. So the kindness actually healed me. So in the most twisted possible way, 9-11 healed me from the pain of my life. Wow. That's also because I sought help. I asked for help. Sure. I received help. We think we can do this on our own. We think there's shame. We're trained. Our culture does not, whether it was right. trained in us, which it, or it is inherent in us or both, which it is both. You know, we have never been encouraged to ask for help. 
we're supposed to know everything. And I, I remember saying to my children as they were going through school and math and difficult subjects, you know, no one is born knowing this stuff. We have to be taught, you know? And so the idea that we know all of it, it's just not, we're setting ourselves up for defeat. And, you know, so going and asking for help, getting this breakthrough, this understanding, this clarity about how beautiful this life really is, became Cosmina Enlightened Living. And I started to knit. I'm a crafter. And then I, okay. I thought I was going to, she would, I would say to her, how am I going to know? How will I know that I've achieved mental health? And she said to me one day, well, you are going to get the most mind-blowing rush of creative energy like nothing you have ever known. Now, how's that for a tantalizing? Nice. Okay. Right? <laughs> so I was like, I have to have that, whatever that means. And I think to myself, I'm going to paint. I've always wanted to be an artist. I've always admired fine art. No, no, I'm a crafter. I'm an, I'm a natural crafter. I work with my hands. So of course I'm going to craft, but I start crafting and I start knitting these big wool shawls for all the women who took care of me. Because what I also said in that same moment of, we just have to be nice was, Next breath, who's taking care of women? Yeah. Who's taking care of the caregiver? Hmm. Now, this is in 2005. This is where the caregiver was even on the radar. Right. You know, yeah. and, and the idea that you have to give yourself oxygen before you help the person next to you. Correct. So knitting. So I started knitting for those who took care of me and gave them these big metaphoric hugs. So the way you wear it wraps you in this tight, heavy way that you just feel cared for and beautiful. Nice. At the same time, I started the business to teach people to knit them themselves. So knitting itself is a fun, what I call a functional meditation because it's so soothing to use your sure. fingertips and the tactile touch. And the repetitiveness, your, you can just get lost in the repetitiveness. Yes, and the calms your, touch calms your central nervous system. Right. That's why patting a dog or strumming a guitar, anytime you touch something, it's calming you down. So, so it became this thing and it took off like wildfire. I mean, I taught 200 women to knit one by one on my couch, you know, and would have open knitting on Mondays and Tuesdays for people to come learn the next thing. And it was really an interesting study in women. It was unbelievable to see it be successful for people and challenging and fulfilling and satisfying. And so Cosmina then, but I realized in that first few, first few years that I needed to share the subject. I needed to share what I, what I would have learned and in a bigger way. And that's when I wrote the book and I decided to have the speaking platform and, and it went on from there, which is kind of brings us to now. That is awesome. Very cool. But then you struggle with breast cancer that had uh, to have been yeah, a little slap in the face, huh? Well, you know, that's, this is where you look at your life and you say, it's the struggles that teach us, you know, and that's, that would be one of my, you know, it's the struggles. Life is a classroom and the struggles are the lessons and they're not, happening to us, they're actually happening for us. So if you just shift that one little preposition, mm -hmm. it changes everything, you know? So in, in this case of breast cancer, it was in 2009, eight years after 9-11, um, I had learned so much in that time. I had was still dealing in with personalities and family members that were not healthy and not serving me and actually taking from me continually that I saw it more as an emancipation and a liberation hmm. and a test to see if you can, in fact, learn a skill set for trauma management. My, that would be how I would say it. And the answer is absolutely. It's like grief. 
So we've, we've learned so much more about grief in, in this right. conversation, you know, where we are today mm-hmm. versus where we were even 20, 10, five years ago, Sure, that it's a process. You have to go through it. There will be ups, there will be downs, but given enough time, everything will be okay, yeah. no matter what. But if you're not healing, if you can't get out of the way, you definitely need to ask for help. Absolutely. Yeah. And there is help out there. People just, like I said, be open to it. You know, it's, it's not, it's not weakness. In fact, I, I consider it a strength to say oh I'm, I'm struggling and I need help. Well, I think, and to, to second on that in complete agreement, it's, it's actually seeing vulnerability as a superpower. Sure. There's no weakness. And because when, when I talk to people about vulnerability, which is Brene Brown, like she's the, right. the queen of shame and vulnerability for anybody listening, that's not aware of her. She right. is, she's the beginning and yep. she will take you where you need to go. And, but, but the idea that when you let down that guard, when you take responsibility for your actions, it is not showing weakness. You are going to open up and an, an opportunity for the depth and richness to come into a relationship that will never be there as long as you keep your guard up. Exactly. So it's just a win-win across the board. It's uncomfortable for that first five or 10 seconds, yeah. right? But once you're there, um, it, it only serves in the long run. Absolutely. Time. Well, that kind of leads into the, the courage. The purpose of the, the podcast is the courage to lead. Where do people find the courage to overcome those things, whether it's a, a bankruptcy, divorce, illness, death, whatever it happens to be, where do you find the courage to keep going? through things like that. Um, well, you ask yourself, have you done it before? Because as, as coaches, you and I both know, it's really, we all have what we need inside of us. Mm-hmm. Someone else isn't going to solve our problem. We have yeah. to just remember, we know a lot. And the question would be when something happens, when was a time when I got through it before? Yeah. And it might not be as big, but even the small things are representative of the same process. You know, and so the courage to lead and, and, you know, normally, you know, this is more often a business conversation and, but I've, I'm of the mindset now more than ever that we take our whole person to work in the, in the day. So we can't be going through a divorce. We can't have a sick child. We can't have a parent we're caring for and expect that not to bring, come to work with us. Oh yeah. And so being the human aspect, which I believe, I believe COVID is really going to end up showing is our humanity is really important now. And we really have to embrace our imperfection as being perfectly imperfect, that there is no, you know, the courage to say I'm wrong, the courage to say, I don't know how, you know, to admit, to admit weakness. It's fine. It's actually powerful. So. Sure. Yeah. And the courage to, to, like you said, to ask for help when you need it, because you're right. We, we get through things. They could be small things. Um, but we've learned that from observing people around us get through similar type things. And I think it is just tapping into that, that courage. But for a lot of people, it's like, they'll, they'll look, okay, you wrote a book. That's scary for some people, you know, for you, it was just, it was something you you had to do. You wanted to do, you did it. But for somebody on the outside looking, it's like, that's takes a lot of courage. Yeah. Did you feel did it, it take takes courage? a lot of time. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely. Well, I have to say of my book, and I think of many people's books, because mine's a memoir, right? So it's a story that I, I had to give birth to this. It wasn't going to go away. As much as I, I mean, I wrote it once and threw it away, which was 
overwhelmingly, mm. you know, disappointing, but it wasn't right. And, you know, but I could, the nagging need to literally give birth. It's like a pregnancy. You have to bring it to life is, is something I really suggest people follow. If there's an itch, please scratch it. And we need to hear the stories of, of struggle and how you overcame that because that's for sure. None of us are going to get out of here without some pretty healthy struggle and, sure. you know, courage, which is, should have been my favorite word before awesome, but it was just too, it would be too trite in this, but um, it's really have, being, having fear and doing it anyway. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's really the definition of courage is being afraid, but doing it anyway, Absolutely. because on the other side, cause it is just fear on the other side is this unbelievable experience of satisfaction or grace or, or love. You just, it's filling, it's going to be very filling for you. And, but if you don't risk, you'll never know. Yeah. So, well, and, and a lot of times you find out there's nothing to be afraid of to begin with. Right. right. You know, it was all made up in your head. You're, you're kind of creating oh, that fear, right? Yes. It's so, always in our heads. It's yeah. in our heads. We get out of our heads and more into our bodies. You know, your intuition, your sixth sense is your yeah. gut instinct. And it's not just women, it's men. We're all, we all have it. And that's also part of, I think, where we're going back to Star Trek and yeah. the whole idea of the universe, sure. you know, that, that we need to guide with the sixth sense because that's our gut. When, when we doubt it to a person out there, I ask when you've doubted your gut instinct, what happened? Yeah. Things it have gone wrong. Absolutely. Wrong. Absolutely. And, and I don't know, I don't know why. I, I think women are definitely more in tune to that sixth sense. They just and are, are much more open to saying, Hey, I just have a bad feeling about this. You know, a lot of times guys will just ignore it. And it, it does. Well, you it, guys were never allowed, you know, you guys were not, it wasn't, you weren't allowed to cry and you weren't allowed to show emotion. The only emotion that's really legal for men is anger. Anger. And, yes. you know, but there's always anger is 100% always fueled by fear, fear. or pain. Absolutely. It is, it is a byproduct. I, I had a conversation with a lady the other day that the only motivator is fear. When you think about it, some people in business, they're, they're motivated by money. They're not motivated by money. They're, they're motivated by the fear that they won't get the money they think they deserve or that somebody else will get the money they think they deserve. Yes. They're not motivated by the promotion. They're motivated by the fear that they're not going to get promoted or somebody is going to get promoted over them. Everything can be traced back to that fear. Agreed. And that fear, a lot of it is we make it up in our own heads. Right. And so there's two, there's a really interesting, I'll, I'll throw this out there for anybody that wants to look it up. There's a great, great company called Positive Intelligence. And it has something called the Saboteur Assessment. Yes. I just Are went through the training, with? the PQ training. Yep. So did I, at the same awesome. time. I yeah, just that was great. It. it was great, the PQ training. So how do we change that, that saboteur, that fear message into the sage message, right? Into, I've done it before. I've done hard things before. So I can do this again. You know, what did I learn the last time that I can utilize in this one? You know, if it's completely stepping off into a new thing, well, how can that be exhilarating instead of scary? You know, so how do we reframe? Exactly. And that's all it is. Take time. Ask for help. Oh, no, it was awesome. I loved it. In fact, I still have the app on my phone that I go to. That is so fun. I had no idea, Harlan. That's awesome. There you go. That's awesome. Absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. Um, and, and this has been awesome. And I appreciate you being a guest on the show. If people want to get in touch with you to find out more about Cosmina, how can they do that? What's your, do you have a website? 
I do. I, I still, and I, I take a breath when I say that they're, they're pretty dated. I need to do a little more work on them. That's kind of part of what's fallen away for me with COVID is I, I just kind of took my eye off the ball. And, but at the same time, I'm processing and growing, right. I'm, I'm perking sure. the, the coaching businesses now. One-on-one stuff is more interesting to me. And um, so I need to update those, but lisaluckett.com is my author website, which if okay. you do a book, you should have an author website. And then uh, Cosmina, which is a funny spelling. It's uh, C-O-Z as in zebra, E-M-E-E-N-A. And there's a reason it's spelled Cosmina, which is, as I say, where coziness meets glamour, because the third friend I gave it to put it on and said, oh my gosh, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And it's so cozy, like a hug. It's like a cozy, it's like a Pajmina. No, it's a Cosmina. <laughs> and so the name stuck, but Pajmina is spelled P-A-S-M-I-N-A, but I couldn't spell Pashmina. <laughs> so I spelled it wrong. So yes, um, that's the long, short story of that. Very anyway. cool. All right. And the, your book um, is out there available on the website and is it available yes. other places? Amazon? It's on the website. It's, on, it's through Amazon. And I, I beg forgiveness from all my small booksellers out there. Um, it was in, in Barnes and Noble. And, you know, it's just a matter of, Staying up with a book, that's the other side of a book. It's again, like giving birth to a child, you have to raise it. Yeah. So the writing part and publishing part is actually the easy part. It, the, the constant promotion of it, the selling of it. And that's where the public speaking should have come in right. as far as sharing the story. Um, that's also part of why I wrote it was to be the foundation of a public speaking right. platform. So, And are you getting back into public speaking now? Is it starting to open up again? Um, you know, I, I've actually kind of stepped back from it because quite honestly, it wasn't as much fun as I thought it was going to be. Really? Okay. It was, um, I liked being up in front of people, but in, in truth and honesty, vulnerability, et, et, et cetera. Um, my story is so big. My mind is so kooky that mm-hmm. I just could not put it down the funnel to get the three, here's the three points. And this is what you're going to drive home. And this is what you want people to take away. And, you know, I probably have eight points, 10 points. Yeah. And so it just, it was just a little befuddling at one point, but I'm sure I, I always say, you know, I'm not going to do it and then end up dusting it off and doing sure. it again. So absolutely more, more, yes. more to come. So then what's next for you? Do you have um, another book in, in mind or? I don't know that I, I mean, originally this was the first of three books. This was the, the, the micro book to micro story, the memoir so that you would trust me that I'm just like you. And like everybody out there and, you know, stumbling forward and with every mistake and picking myself back up and trying to figure it out. The second book would have, which would have been the mic, the macro view, where we are as a culture, how did we get here? What do we, what, what are we missing? Kind of like the theory around national adolescence yeah. around the towers falling and creating us emotional centrifugal force that would push out on all of us that pushed out on all of us. So that wherever we were broken emotionally, we broke further. Mm. My family and my in-laws case in point blew us apart because we were already broken, yeah. you know, and to, to understand that, that we, oh, there's so much, the, the three-legged stool, mind, body, spirit. The reason there wasn't any, there was no counsel to help us through it. We had no emotional training while we've super served academics. We've super served physical fitness. We've done nothing with the emotional leg. So we tipped over. Wow. Our stool just, we can write it back up. We know, I know we can say where we are. We just have to decide to put the resources, the energy and the value into emotional training so that we can put ourselves back up on in balance 
and be mm. upright again. Yeah. We could definitely use that. Yeah. And then the third book would be our a beautiful future. Should we choose to shift perspective to see it? And that's about kind of the universe and that's about the energies and that's about, you know, the woo woo stuff that everybody, you know, kind of snubs their nose at at this time, but, but it's coming. Um, unfortunately that it took a left turn in COVID also. So yeah. we are ever evolving. That's all I can, that's all I can hope. <laughs> yeah. But like you said, if, if we could just get to a point where we're showing more grace and more kindness just right. in our own lives, and maybe that'll start spreading, you know, yes. some, well, I, you know, and that comes up often in coaching and then your coach as well. We have empathy for others, but how much empathy do we have for ourselves? Yeah. Are we as nice to ourselves as we are to the people around us? You know, that our SAGE training, our PQ training, mm -hmm. from positive intelligence is about being kind to ourselves because, you know, love comes from up from within and goes out. It right. doesn't come from out and in. And that's a misnomer. We have to love ourselves and self-love is a very difficult concept. Mm -hmm. It was for me. I, I only figured out what I believe is the definition for myself, which is I had to learn to love the bad sides of myself, the things that aren't so great, yeah. more than the good side. The good stuff is easy to love. Yeah. It's the bad stuff. But it's, it's that, all those things that, that make you who you are. Right. right. And you it's have to get comfortable stuff. with that. Yeah. The quirks, the idiosyncrasies, the edges, you know, well, maybe not popular as long as you own them, people will still love you. Exactly. You know, just, you just can't dump it out on somebody and expect them to take it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Very cool. Good oh. stuff. Well, thank you. Thank you for, thank you for allowing the podcast. me to, to be oh, here. Oh, no, this is, this has been awesome. To and all your love, great listeners out there, I wish them only the best. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I would love to have you back on. I said, we'll uh, I'd love to be back see on where anytime. things are going. And uh, yeah. Let's talk about life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Listeners, hope you guys were taking notes. A lot of good information here. Definitely go check out the websites. I will have all those links in the show notes so people can can reach out to you and learn more and uh, order a copy of the book. Yeah, that, be I hear it reads well. I've been told it's <laughs> very conversational and entertaining. So that's good. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Lisa, thanks again. Appreciate but it. Carlin, you are a gift. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks. All right, listeners, um, share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now. 